Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping all of us get the inside scoops on life of our church and I'll say beyond because uh, for this month, in the spirit of our It Takes a Village and summer season, uh, we're looking to hear from some outside voices and today we have the opportunity to catch up with a dear friend to Southridge and probably an even better friend and personal mentor to me guy by the name of Tim Day, who's part of a ministry called City Movement. So hello there, brother. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Say hi to everyone uh, from Southridge. Hey, Southridge. Love you guys. If I could live closer, I'd be hanging with you guys all the time. Yeah, you just live too far. We don't have an an Oakville or a a Burlington site quite yet. So Not quite yet, but... Maybe we'll have to figure that out as well. My heart's with you, though. Hey, uh, knowing we're still in the middle of this fun called COVID, uh, what does the whole working from home thing look like for you? How's life just in your home world these days? Yeah, it's going well. We had uh, like this switch, as everybody experienced back in March, was so fast, so dramatic that it just kind of like hit us like a lightning bolt. So we have five in our house and you know, three students, uh, wife and I both work in this. All of a sudden, this became our work hub for all of us, splitting up rooms of the house and, you know, setting up routines and having meals together. So did, we've adapted did now. Enough, did you have enough devices to share? Yeah, we did. We actually had to upgrade our bandwidth. And hmm, yeah. uh, and actually it was our modem that we had to update uh, just because of the amount that we're pulling across because everybody is streaming all the time. So, yeah, so we, it took a little while. It took after Easter by Easter, we got into a groove though and kind of figured it out. And, you know, when I can, I get out, go for walks, switch to more phone calls, less Zoom, and um, like real practical things like change clothes at the end of day. So I know when I'm working and when I'm not. So, yeah, it's yeah, amazing how those work from home routines just got built in almost overnight. Yeah, yeah. And we, we anticipate, like, my, um, Looks like two of my kids, my one son graduated from Ryerson and uh, two of them are going back to school, but it's going to be like a split uh, learning environment. So they'll both be home at least half time. And it looks like for work, we'll be home most of the time, even through the fall, maybe through next year or so. Yeah. So this isn't ending anytime soon. No, nope. Saving a lot of money on gas though. I'm, I'm dreading what this is going to feel like when it's cold out and no one wants to go outside. Then it's going to be real <laughs> tough. It is going to get rough. Hey, uh, I want to talk first off about this new ministry that you've been involved in called City Movement. I mean, you and I have known each other for years, and you played an integral mentoring role in my life and in the life of our church uh, back when you were the senior pastor of the Meeting House. And now you've transitioned in the last couple of years to a new ministry called City Movement. So first things first, walk us through what City Movement is. A City Movement is a is a Canadian ministry connected to a, a global network of ministries. Uh, and they're kind of the global umbrellas movement.org. And it comes out of New York city, but it stretches around the world. It's in partnership with Lausanne movement. And it's a ministry that is networking those that are wrestling with and trying to become practitioners of the church working together in major urban centers uh, to advance the gospel. So, um, as the world moves into cities and we become more digitally powered and connected, this is uh, one of the key, I would say one of the key, if not uh, the largest global ministry working at that issue, that that way of looking at the mission field of the church. 
and at a practical level, like what does it actually do when you say we want to see, you know, the, the gospel and the kingdom advance in major urban centers around the world, or in your case, in Canada? What, what does, what does the, what's the work of doing that? Um, uh, one part of it has to do with helping the church know itself and build relationships and network internally so that you have a greater awareness of what your assets are from like who's doing what and who's good at what and who should be talking to who. The second part of it is knowing your city and building liaisons into the marketplace into civic leaders. A lot of what you guys do at Southridge, like it's basically taking Southridge and making that a church in the city that you know what the needs of the city are. Uh, people have the opportunity to know what the greatest needs are and then, and then create, uh, you know, warm to collaboration, at least coordinated approach to how we do ministry, uh, breaking down some of the traditional ways that networks have operated in silos and trying to kind of open up windows in a sense between the houses so people can talk to each other mm-hmm. and start working things. So depending on what the city is, depending on what the issue is, but this is from Hong Kong to Beijing to well, you just go everywhere. Like I think we're our network has like 300 global cities engaged, and you know if you're part of the U.S. call, it's like Tony Dungy from the uh, remember the Colts uh, NFL. You could have yeah the NFL you know, broadcaster yeah right. You could have you know the people who are part of this conversation is just so broad and diverse because the bulk of people live in cities now, and a lot of poverty has moved into cities. But it's it's very uh, complex, and so poverty in rural settings have a have a particular pattern. Poverty in cities have a different pattern, hmm. and in a lot of ways, we're really good at a rural type poverty. We're not good at urban or suburban poverty. Hmm. So that's that's a lot of what the conversation. So city movement in Canada is kind of the Canadian outpost, and we work. We have connections, essentially thirty one cities across Canada, thirty one to thirty two cities, which are most of our cities. And um, we are working at facilitating that conversation. Uh, there's some ministries that have full setup operations, like a couple million dollar ministries that um, provide kind of the networking power and information hubs for those cities. Um, but a lot don't. So yeah, we're helping. Things, we're, we're helping that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. One of the interesting things, sorry to interrupt, was, was just for, for all of our listeners to get a sense that when you talk about the church in a city, you're talking about the whole church, right. Christians in the marketplace, Christians in government, you know, social service agencies that would have a Christ centeredness to them and local churches. Like That's it's, right. it's, it's a vision of an, a, a, a brokering a networking of the whole package that is the Christian church in a city. Just so people don't understand like it, you're hitched to any one particular local church or denomination or thinking that any one church is going to change the world in a, a major urban center. That's not the case. It's, it's more of a networking of the whole church, which I think is pretty cool and powerful. Yeah. We started rather than what a number of ministries do, they'll kind of set up a beachhead, try to prototype something and then share it from there. Well, what we felt God have us do is actually go out and map everybody, every ministry, and um, organize all the data of it. And uh, we have a platform, if you want to play around on it, called Waybase. Uh, there's going to be a massive update this fall. So we have a team building. Uh, what we did is we built version one in a beta form. 
just to see what people would do. And they started to play around with the tools and like, what did they want it to do and how did they use it? And what were people good at when they played around it? What, what did they struggle with? So once we took all that data in, now we have a team that's a mix of data scientists, technologists, app builders, um, and they're building a whole new version that basically organize all of the data of the Christian church, but create an environment for partnership. And particularly, you know, when you guys talk about anchor causes at um, Southridge. Um, I'm vaguely the, familiar with the concept. You might have heard of it before. Anyways, <laughs> check it out. It's really awesome. So it's the notion of actually making that a, a, an experience of the church that every ministry can think about the greatest needs of their cities and what are specific anchor causes, local causes, city causes, even national causes, where there, where the issues require us to rally and be intentional and sustained in our efforts, and then be able to um, take those causes and use like platform power to, to gather other types of data sets and other type of measurement tools to see how we're doing at making progress. Be able to invite in civic leaders and other marketplace leaders or people who have like, um, you know, have businesses that might have like a social wing to their business, you know, that where they invest in the community, where people could kind of look in and the church can be a part of, uh, uh, you know, showing its contribution, particularly with vulnerable, you know, populations that uh, face real vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. that we can show ourselves very tangibly. So using kind of that power, if you think of like Realtor.ca and how Realtor.ca got, has helped everybody kind of know the market in their area. And whether you're in commercial or real estate, whether you're selling or buying, it created kind of an ecosystem uh, and and some data attached to it. That's what we're doing for the entire church. Every uh, anybody who would be essentially Trinitarian in their Christian belief. Yeah, and the the vision of City Movement is really <clears throat> just to network, unify, and activate the church in major urban centers to make the kingdom enhancing difference that ultimately it would have the capacity to make if it were networked and binded together somehow you're that's the glue right. that's pulling the church together to <laughs> deploy it in these major urban centers that's the compelling part of this yeah and it's you know we i, I led a city movement back when i was church planning out in belleville we came to the meeting house and you know had this multi-site experience which you guys have the same thing where you grow up and you you know you grow and you expand you have different sites have different um, uh, small groups or house churches, whatever you want to call them, that are working, and then individuals. You're creating these partnerships. You have these missions and these goals. You're making a difference. And as I went through that growth process, and then just watched what was happening across the church, realized, you know what? There's a way in which this is a bit infectious that people are starting to see the vision and the value of it. And so, what if we built an environment where the whole church could have those kinds of experiences? of cooperating where it makes sense, being able to focus strategic resources on the greatest needs and then track the difference we're making. Whether that's ch church planting, whether that's an alpha campaign or a shelter um, or helping migrant workers or helping with mental health or addiction, that we would be able to see the, the entire landscape and track with each other. And you mentioned, Tim, this way base. I know that one of the key pieces of City Movement's work has been this process of data collecting and ultimately then filtering the data through this realtor.ca type of platform in, in Waybase to help give people the landscape of what's really going on in, in cities. D describe the process of how the data collection, you know, interpretation, 
through to the the release of it on on Waybase and your platform. How does that work? Uh, there's um, a variety of public data sources. All charitable data is public, and you can back that up 20 years. And that's financial data and how they report and how they describe all sorts of their uh, primarily financial exchanges and how they connect that to their ministry goals in a very kind of basic way. You also have other type of data, uh, public data, like census data, different, uh, there's actually two different types of census data sets and city data sets and an increasing number of open data sets for community. So we started the process of cleaning, gathering, and starting to tag. Now that's over 30,000 records just for Christian uh, ministries. There's about 80,000 charities in Canada. We had to actually tag and clean because nobody had really done a deep cleaning and a deep tagging of the data so that you can make it searchable and make it accurate. And then you have to put it in a mapped environment, overlay the census data, and you can back up the data of census, census data for multiple census, um, and integrate those. And then as you layer that in, then you can start to populate other types of data sources as they come in. So you basically have to create a, an environment that gets right down to postal codes. And whether that's a ministry that's in that postal code or a particular set of population, public data that we know about that population or way data is gathered, you create is basically an online mapped environment for all that data. Then once that happens, and you can use all these amazing tools that have been built for business that people have spent, you know, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars building these tools. And you can just come into that environment and start to use them to help the mission of the church. So you collect all this data through this exhaustive process. Uh, like maybe bottom I'll, line, maybe what I are you learning through all this? Give me, give okay. me some insight. What are you learning? Something else I should mention. You talk about cleaning. I should mention it's actually a data cleaning team. So we have a team in Philippines and one in Malawi. This is another really cool story. Um, the data and clean team in Malawi are was founded by Christians to create an exportable service out of Malawi that would give them sustained income. So these are people who had come up through the development programs, but then when they graduate, didn't necessarily have sustainable jobs. And so a number of Christians built a data cleaning center in Malawi, and they're going to be building it. And th there's actually an effort for Christian, uh, two Christian companies now building data cleaning centers uh, in uh, more uh, you know, fragile or more under-resourced communities to create sustainable employment. So it's just a cool story, but yeah. there's actually people cleaning and organizing internationally, organizing all of the ministry data of the Christian church in Canada so the church can be more effective here. And hopefully our effectiveness can spill back to expand this into other countries and actually come back and serve the people who've helped us this way. So it's just a little cool story Super there. Super cool. I want to come back. How to your are you question. finding this in the in the early in the early phases? How are you finding this benefiting the churches and leaders, or, or or regions of leaders, and maybe even personally? Just what are you learning through all that? Now you've got this data. What is it telling you? Basically, there's different sectors in the Christian, um, or different. Uh, ask different types of ministries in the Christian sector. And so when they have a chance to look at this data, then they start to think of questions about, oh, you know, I've never been able to know this before. Could you answer this for me? So I'll give you a case study. Campus groups. How many campus Christian campus groups exist on colleges and universities across Canada? How many students attend those universities and colleges? 
How well distributed are we? How many campuses or colleges have no Christian groups? How many have nine or ten? That was those were all unanswered questions. But when you talk about a younger generation disengaging the church, as the studies have shown, and that the biggest drop-off point is university and college, that seems like a pretty strategic question. But it was a question that couldn't be answered. So by using this platform, we actually were able to answer that for the Christian campus ministries, where we were able to plot all the universities, aggregate all that kind of data on student population, where they are, put in all their campus groups, map them all. And then, you know, what we found out was 50% of students who go off to college or university uh, do not have access even to a single campus group that they could be a part of to continue their spiritual journey. Uh, while some may have as many as four, five, six campus groups actually on the same university, uh, 50% have, or 50% or more have none. So, and, and there's probably churches in those regions who had no idea of that. No, that's right. And so now, because that information is unavailable to us, you can't broaden the conversations with, let's say, like you said, like uh, churches that might have young adult groups or young adult pastors or youth pastors who might want to help with this, camps that might have camp leaders who are off at university. Uh, there's no way to take those that work with young leaders and uh, work with college-age students to solve that problem. So that was there's a case study. Now, this could go for Church Planting Canada and, uh, you know, where should we plant churches? Let's say cultural churches, give an example of that. What's the population of, um, you know, the various uh, language groups where people speak a particular language at home? What churches exist that offer services in those languages? How well matched are we? Do we have a lot of churches in a particular language or none? Do we need, actually, because of an immigration kind of hub where a lot have come into an area, do we need to plant a specific language church or service at least with a missionary to that group because that's an unreached population within now, one of our what cities. what languages are spoken in what cities and what churches are accommodating the proclamation of the gospel in those languages? Like it's that right. granular. It gets it right down. I'll give you a case study. Somebody from a, a larger Christian ministry said, you know, where do the people of this language, and it gave me this very, like, uh, how do you say, kind of like, an obscure language. Obscure language. I yeah. never heard before. And I'm like, oh, gee, I don't know. So I went on the data. I'm like, well, actually, they all in Toronto live at this right here. I showed them on the map. Right. Like a block. Right. Like, yeah, there's like literally within a block. They all lived within a block. I said, that's what there. She goes, oh, great, because my um, son-in-law is back from missions. And he works internationally with that group. But he had no idea where they existed in Toronto. So what he's going to do is drive over for the day and just like sit in coffee shops mm -hmm. and listen on language to build some friendship and reach out and chat. Cause you know, where else does he get to speak his language and, you know, yeah. kind of get to know people because yeah. that's where he lives. And I'm like, it can get down to that granular level where it could affect how we do church planting, how we do, um, well, just anything you think of seniors, where do the seniors live? How well are we doing providing services to that? Where are their under-resourced pockets? Um, a conversation that I have, you know, we have with, let's say, refugees, asylum seekers. Does the church know the number that are backlogged in the system and helping them settle? You know, uh, uh, pretty much unless you're really plugged into that area, you could be completely oblivious yeah. to those needs. In my yeah. own city here, there's a tent city that I didn't even know existed. 
of people who uh, don't have their housing is they live in the bush here in tents. And this, as far as I know, nobody in my neighborhood knows that this group exists. The police know they exist. But these types of things don't have a way to be communicated in a strategic way to the churches mm -hmm. to then be able to create some intentional brainstorming. One of the things that we've been um, discussing is something called the city think tank. That's where all Christian leaders, ministry leaders, any marketplace leaders, people involved in civic get together just for a day, maybe for four hours, five hours. And they just plop themselves down and look at what's going on, look at the key issues, take you know people who are leading in the sector. Let's say Southridge, you might talk you know, because of your anchor causes. You might be one of the kind of sector leaders speaking on this. But then everybody can listen in, but then not just kind of go away like, oh, what do we do? They can actually look at who, where are the causes that exist and where do we need a bit more, you know, fuel put into the fire, a bit more volunteers, you know, a bit more um, engagement from different players to solve some problems. And uh, right now that doesn't take place in the Christian that they, we have conferences, we have worship nights, we have all sorts of things, but we don't have a mission-focused, you know, brainstorming environment for leaders to take action, you know, ultimately come together to get organized to take action. Yeah, a unifying, problem-solving, resource-deploying entity. And, I mean, the cool thing about City Movement is it's not even trying to be that entity. It's just trying to broker those entities themselves in those, in those cities. Exactly. Super, super right. wild. Yeah. And, and some people are a bit further down the road, like Christian direction in Montreal or one way in Ottawa, they're a bit further down the road. So we don't even have to kind of make this up. There are people who can like, kind of like coach us. Across yeah, there are the citywide movements in some places that your yeah. data can help support. Yeah. Hey, want to kind of shift gears here because uh, I know one of our recent conversations has been, the expansive vantage point that you now have of just the church in Canada. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got data now and network and relationship with the church in Canada. And obviously everything's up in the air since COVID hit. So now that we're into this season, like how have you seen churches respond? If you want to take a look, actually, if you go on waybase.com, there's a banner at the top that talks about COVID and there's survey results there. You can go in and we did a survey and got really solid representative responses right across the country, every province, large, small churches by different sectors. And it's all data visualization, so it's very easy to see and read. If you want to download that, you can check that out. That will give you way more information on the state of the church and what's happening because of COVID than I can say in a few minutes here. So um, definitely check that out. Having said from a, that, From a high level, yeah, from a high level, yeah, where, let, where would you see the me, church shining and struggling? Yeah. Um, just the top things that jump out immediately. One is the uniform experience. What happened in COVID pretty much blanketed everybody, big and small, every faith tradition with the exact same experience. What that means is there's a significant drop in revenue with a slow return to something sustainable. A lot of them have had to make financial adjustments to, to re-hit that sustainable point, but the impact was immediate and right across the board particularly hard hit, like off the charts, were camps and retreat centers. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of that group, everybody's hit. There are a few that grew through this financially or with attendance, but that's the exception. That's a small percentage. By and large, everybody's hit the same way. Rural cities, 
everybody's in the same boat together. Number two, the shift online uh, was um, difficult, but people made it. So things like using Zoom for Sunday morning, streaming, um, doing telecare, phoning around, uh, ministry leaders adapted very quickly, worked very hard at switching, and have made the switch for the most part. Doesn't mean that they're happy about it. Doesn't mean they're not, they're exhausted. Uh, many of them are tired of it, uh, but they did pivot. Uh, number three, most of them are optimistic that they will get back to some form of normal when this is all over. They're not exactly sure when, um, but they feel stable enough like they're going to make it through. Some ministries will probably close, but they're on the trajectory to close. So most leaders right now do not see an apocalypse coming, in a sense, if you want to say that. What they see is that it's going to be tough and it may take a year or two to get back. The Probably the biggest question pressing them all right now, and this is pretty much right across the board, and that is what does going what does the new normal look like before the vaccine? And we can kind of go back to business as usual. There is no consensus on that. Most are pretty hesitant. Most see the downside of like having gatherings where seniors can't attend or children have to come in and it looks like you're going into have surgery because of all the masks and gloves and, and everything. So there are a lot of churches that are starting to brainstorm. Do we stay in this mode longer? Do we... Um, you know, uh, do some limited gatherings, maybe in large houses, uh, and kind of uh, kind of shift how we get together. You know, it there isn't one big uniform. Just do this. Switching online was pretty uniform. It's like either stream or use Zoom or something like that. The switchback is not uniform. And I would uh, the I think the data the best way to split the data right now is about. A third have kind of a plan in mind and a timeline in mind, and about two thirds are still sorting it out and are not 100% sure what they're going to do. Hmm. Hmm. So everyone got into the mess similarly, but not everyone's getting out of the mess similarly. No, yeah, that's right. And they're that's... not, and there's a difference between rural and city and suburb and size of church and what type of ministry you're doing. Hmm. Uh, for the most part, though, I would say where, uh, concern you know they're concerned you know now one more thing i should say lots of leaders have said this now this is more anecdotal but lots of leaders have said they believe that this could propel us into a better version of the church that it's forcing us i've had a number of leaders saying this it's forcing us to give up our sunday morning addiction and it's forcing us to rethink and we needed to do it and we can become healthier and better from it I definitely track with that and and love that impact for for a lot of churches that I've been talking to that they're not they're almost not sure what to do without a Sunday service because they're so Sunday centric and I think for what city movement is about uh, you know covid has helped launch a church's perspective to become fundamentally more missional than its gathering which has been super cool Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, some people have said we're all heading here anyways, but this just kind of rocketed us forward five years. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, a uh, couple of minutes to go. So I, I know that you've always had a soft spot for Southridge specifically, and you've been, again, influential, even in these last number of months, helping me understand kind of what's out there and how other churches are processing it. 
I'm in relationship with a certain number of church leaders, but you've given me access to just way more thinking on, on these kinds of subjects. When you see Southridge as part of this larger ecosystem, what would you say Southridge most has to contribute to the greater church in Canada? And at the same time, what would Southridge most have to learn from the greater church in Canada, given the Canadian kind of national perspective that you have? Um, Southridge makes a really, really, um, I, I feel like it has in its essential approach a, a very fundamentally sound understanding of we focus on Jesus at the center and all that we learn from Jesus, and then we practically put it into action, both in terms of how we approach God and live in a connected relationship with God but then turn to our neighbor and find out how to serve um, those around us and ultimately serve those that are most vulnerable or in most vulnerable situations. And you make that not something you aspire to. You make all of that something you practically do day in, day out, a very Jesus-oriented, practical application. Face the tough stuff. Let's go do it and figure it out. And then mixed with that, you have this vision of let's grow, expand, be entrepreneurial, be creative, be willing to fail, trust young leaders, um, you know, that kind of go for it mentality. So in terms of your unique contribution is just like we have certain cities that have forerunners in, you know, the networking side, churches need forerunner churches that live this way that they can look to because they're not going to look at city networking ministries as examples churches need churches and you know the vast majority of christian entities in canada as organizations are churches they're not um, other types of ministries you know it's over twenty thousand churches that are active we have more churches than gas stations in canada and so they need churches to role model this and show, you know, share the pain, share the failures, share the ups and downs, but make yourself available to be a mentor, a coach, a, a supporter, an inspirer of other churches catching the vision that you're, what for you is your normal day, your normal week, your normal year in, in ministry needs, you know, needs to be shared broadly, broadly right across the country. And what's interesting is you straddle a, a city that most people can relate to, a city size, most people can relate to, and you branch out to more rural centers in your multi-site that are a bit smaller, right? So you you kind of cross that divide. And I think that really uh, allows you to speak um, really far and wide across the country. And uh, I would I would hope that, you, you know, you would take that on seriously and uh, not be shy, not be too Canadian. But, you know, and I want to dialogue with you guys about that is how do people encounter you and learn from you and, and kind of take the, 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 you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of Southridge, mostly good, but you know, there's always, you know, things we struggle with. We had other meeting house, like lots of mistakes we made or things that we struggled with, but take that on the road to help catalyze and mobilize people to do what you're doing. And that will just naturally fit into the greater work of God. Now, what you can learn from other, other uh, ministries. I think um, it's a dynamic time right now in ministries. And because so much is up for grabs and changed and shut down and people are in, in chaos, 
you know, in a lot of places, you know, maybe not chaos is too strong, but, you know, uh, disoriented. I think the yeah, thing that disrupted, that, yeah. disrupted, disoriented, I think just jumping into that sea of conversation is really important right now. We need the best thinkers. We need people who can hear God. And um, I just say, I think it's a super dynamic environment. You're connected with the global leadership network, right? Now, you know, right across the country are networks of innovative churches that are trying to grow and adapt. And it's, and I've had denominations that have often operated on their own because of their size or how they're organized now completely a part of the conversation. And so I just think it's a, an incredibly exciting time to do these type of Acts 15 moments, you know, where we put our heads together and we yeah. think strategically about what God has for us. Tim, as we wrap up, um, you know, you know, even the people in our congregation, the the members of our church from our various locations, uh, any final encouragements or challenges to them when it comes to being the difference makers in this Niagara region where God's placed us so that the church in Canada can shine like never before? I think um, one of the things that's really fascinating about human nature is when we have it really good, we still climatize back to feeling like it's normal. And then we assume that everything should be really good. And I, <laughs> and I would say, just as an outsider, I would encourage you to like, if you feel like there's places that, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, Southridge is great, but you know, for the people listening in, but is it really that great? I want to come from the outside and say, you guys really are experiencing something exceptional. And, you know, um, be encouraged, be renewed in that and continue to lean into that and fuel that with your passion, your prayers, your full investment. And then as leaders, you know, are inviting you to mission to expand out, to think of creative ways to share and expand the conversation. I just say to all of your members there, like, um, buy in, be invested. Um, I was just reading again in Acts and how invested that early church was. You know, they had no roadmap for what was ahead. They they had, you know, they weren't looking back on 2000 years of history. They had no history and they're trying to figure out from scratch, but people leaned in so much, like they're like generous, they're uh, invested, uh, they're donating, they're uh, stepping up to serve. And I just, I think we're in that time where like there's this massive global reset button. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on a phone call with global leaders all over the world. And all over the world, the church is being reset. They're figuring it out in in ways we have not seen before in its history. And uh, for you as one of the lead churches, I would call you one of the leading churches in Canada. Uh, first of all, I'd say, realize that you're a part of that. And then number two, lean in and see what God could do through your church family, through your leadership team, through your example to inspire the church and help the church reimagine what the, you know, what the Lord has for us in these days. So that'd be my encouragement to the, to your community. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being with us today. And uh, even beyond that, thanks for being such a good friend to Southridge and to me personally. Uh, I've said before that uh, your investment, even I remember at the very beginning when we started a more of a formal mentoring relationship before we became friends, you had challenged me. You remember for every leadership book I read, I had to read a, a book on parenting because you said the metaphor of the church in the Bible is way more family than business. Yeah. Just that nugget, Tim, 
totally reshaped my whole leadership posture and how I viewed what it meant to be a a spiritual leader in the community of faith. And uh, I just hope you know the the Tim Day thumbprint that is on Southridge in so many ways these days. So thanks for being part of this. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening in. We'll see you again next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone.